everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. This is another episode of Beyond the Panels, where we talk about the film and television that was inspired by the comics we love and read on this show. Earlier this year, we read The Eternals by Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr., and we are here to talk about the MCU film, the Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. I am Blaine McGaffigan. I'm joined, as always, by Adam, king of the deviants, Cook. Finally, someone recognizes my throne. Great to be here, Blaine. Excellent. How are you doing today, buddy? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just start it off. Tell me how you saw The Eternals. I think that's always a good way to start. Tell me about your experience, and then... What do you think? What, whenever you're walking out of the theater, what was your initial takeaways? Okay, I went to the movie theater. Eternals, only in theaters right now. We got, That's right. you know, we were a little bit spoiled. We had a few movies that were big premieres, and we thought, do I need to see this in theaters when it's just on Disney Plus? Well, Marvel's takes that question, uh, Eternals takes that question out of the whole conversation. Because you got to go see it in the movie theater. So I went to the Alamo Draft House, and um, leaving the theater, I was, uh, I was honestly, I don't want to just just rain on anyone's Eternals parade, but I was just yeah. glad that the movie was over when we were done. It was a long one. I thought it kind of dragged a lot. Overall, didn't love it. Not my favorite Marvel movie, but. Still a lot to talk about. What did you think about it? And how did yeah, you see I it, mean, Yeah, I mean, same as you. I, I mean, so I, I went to the theaters and it was one of these, you know, as a father, getting away is kind of kind of tough. And, and I actually, my daughter did a little slumber party over at the grandparents. And I was like, Kate, I'm going for it. I got a pod. I have a duty. I have a duty to the comic club audience. They have to know my takes. They need to know. They demand about it. This. They demand it. They, they need to know what I think about this film. So I went to the theaters by myself, sat there drinking a couple brewskis, hey. and Lord, just like you, found myself, you know, wandering. This yeah. thing was so long. And talk about pacing issues. You know, we are going to get into the things that we liked, maybe what stuff kind of worked and talk around it. But I think there's no two ways about it. This was a stinker of a Marvel film. This is among the, you know, bottom of the barrel. It, it's so weird at the same time because, you know, I was so hyped for this film seeing the trailer because I'm like, ooh, Chloe Zhao, Academy Award director Chloe Zhao. Oh, She's got some leverage. She's going to film this on location. She's she's doing it her way. This isn't just going to be, you know, the run-of-the-mill Atlanta stuff. And then, then lastly, we decided on Comic Club, let's go look into these characters. What can we find interesting about them? And I think you mentioned this, Adam, whenever I asked you, you know, what do you think of the film before I had even seen it? And you're like, kind of like the comic, like Eternals are – you know, they kind of suck. Like, they're just kind of not cool to begin with. It's hard to make, I don't want to say bad characters, because you because any character can become cool and, you know, have enough pathos or whatever with the right lens. But 
there's just so much going on in this film. I mean, you're assembling the team, you're explaining their powers, you're you're having to characterize them, you're having to do love triangles, you're having to introduce villains, you're doing twists. I mean, way too much is going on in this film. There's so much that's going on, and there's really just not a lot to grab onto. Like, There's not a great character that you really are just following you're rooting for obviously they're positioning cersei to be the lead of this and they're tapping into something about her character that they really liked trying to you know show her love for humanity i think that's probably the right way to go about it but it just doesn't work it just doesn't doesn't really land you're not invested enough in her arc i really just didn't care that much about her relationship with icarus You know, you really just want to see the team together and the team dynamics. They spent so long just getting the team together. And then even when they were together, it was just fractured. You didn't really get to see them be the Eternals. Yeah. Um, And just a lot of things that just, I don't know. I guess it really, like I said, it reminded me a lot of the comic. And I just didn't necessarily think that comic was the best um, platform to launch a huge movie off of. And it's really interesting to me that they decided to bring Eternals into the fold at this point in the MCU. Obviously, there's a sense of scale in the MCU where they introduce these villains and heroes with huge powers. So they have to outdo that the next time, right? They got to up the stakes every time. So the Eternals seems like a real natural way, natural way to keep upping the stakes, kind of plant a few seeds of incredibly powerful beings here and there, but they're just kind of lame. They're just not yeah. that cool. Yeah, th- there's a couple things going on that you mentioned that I wanted to call out, and one of them is th- there's kind of two themes as I kind of see it in this film, and that's one, Eternals mission and then the twist is okay their mission is to uh kill all the eliminate all the deviants from earth so that humanity can flourish and they do so and they're left wondering okay what next you know our god is not really telling us what the what's going on here and then they find out later and or and we as an audience find out later which you know could could we as an audience maybe even known that sooner would it have changed anything i don't know but um that actually no humans are going to be a sacrifice to birth another god, to birth a celestial are the gods of this universe. So that that's one. And I think I want to talk about what you said is the lens they chose to do that is the Eternals' love for humanity. I think we see Druig, he loves humans. We see Phaistos, he has a, he has a, a partner and a kid, so he loves humanity. Um, and then, but Cersei, we don't really see much. I mean, we see... Dane, the, um, you know, Jon Snow, I can't even remember the actor's name now, uh, but her relationship, and it is just played for jokes the whole time. They're, they're quipping around. He is not funny. And, um, I I don't know. That's kid. Thank you. Thank you. That did not work for me. And okay. So if that sort of love for humanity piece is not going to work, then let's maybe try the other side of things, which is the family aspect. Right. And and that's what Marvel does. I think better than anybody is 
the found family. We're we're a team, you know, the captain, the Captain America and the Iron Man and the Avengers, and we're a family and and the way we look out for each other. And yes, families fight, of course, like any family. And I think that might have worked a little bit better because you could kind of see their relationships. But having these two huge themes and not doubling down kind of on either of them, just another thing, Adam, too many Eternals. Too many Eternals. Yeah. Take two people out of there and let, let us get a, you know more time with everyone else. Let's work on these relationship dynamics. I, I mean, think about Avengers 1. Okay, how many Avengers are there? Six, seven of them? And they took, what, five films to work up to introduce them one by one. And all those characters are more well-known than any Eternal. And here they have eight Eternals, nine Eternals, and they, they throw them all together in one film and they expect us to know who they are. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the Avengers w- worked so well as kind of, you know, the conclusion of this first phase. We had introduced all these characters. Now let's see what, see what happens when they team up. Eternals can't really work like that. The the team aspect is part of Eternals, right? Mm -hmm. That's such a big part of it that it had to always be a team movie. But like I said, they don't give us the team. It takes so long to actually get to the team. They didn't, they were trying to go around this team movie. I mean, I don't, I don't even know what the thought process was and some of the decisions here. Um, One of my biggest kind of qualms and, Hopefully we'll move on to some of the things that we liked here in a second, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just too much explaining, too much exposition, too much exposition, just so much information dumping. Oh, this happens because of this, but here's the origin of this. And this is this God's relationship with it. Just explaining things. And to the point to where I, as an audience member who was pretty well versed on this story going in, was having a hard time tracking some of the things that they were saying. And to kind of compare that, to go beyond, beyond the panels, compare it with another movie that just came out that has to explain a lot and do a lot of world building. Dune, right? I think Dune was the, the case for how you do it. This is how you explain things. There was a moment in Dune where they're explaining kind of the technology. They're not explaining it. They're just about to have a fight scene and they just show how it works. Someone does a little hand movement and it explains it all. And I thought, Show, not tell. That's one of the big screenwriting 101 lessons that you learn. You want to just show what's happening. Don't just tell the audience. Too much telling in Eternals, not enough showing. I mean, here's the thing. Just going down a quick Dune rabbit hole here. Go down it. We've seen a bunch of films over the past three years. Disney, we've got some Star Wars movies. We see Mandalorian. We see all this stuff. They're really targeting the four quadrant spectrum, kids to all ages, to everybody, new fans, old fans, everybody. And to do that, you kind of do have to sometimes over-explain. I think sometimes they do kind of undermine the intelligence. And I think that's something that Dune did that I feel like I haven't seen in a modern blockbuster in a long time, exactly what you said, is they don't really explain much at all. They just throw you in and they just expect you to freaking figure it out. You don't need to explain how Spice is going to help interstellar space travel. They just say it once and us as an audience is like, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, yeah, that, okay, I get that. Okay, and it's a psychedelic. And, you know, it's like you just start picking it up as you go. And I, I thought the same thing as you, is they were just 
talking and talking and really explaining the history. And it, it, it just got, it got wild. Okay, let's get to some positives here. Let's just start off with this big blanket question. What worked for you? What Great. what aspects of the movie were, were were clicking? What was some what was some cool stuff? Okay, one of my favorite parts of this movie, until it was one of my biggest questions, was Kumail Nanjiani. Yes, I thought that he nailed it. I thought yes. this guy gets this movie. He gets this world. He gets how to play in this sandbox. They always talk about playing in the sandbox. Yes, he yes. knows how to play in the sandbox. He knew exactly when to ham it up kind of do his eyebrow raise at the camera and then went to turn it on and be serious and actually take things serious, even though it's like some ridiculous, you know, CGI dog monster. That is, you know, I think a fine line to dance and not everyone got there. I think um, Richard Madden, way too serious to to just rooting performance. Yeah, not no, having dude, fun I, at all, and that's the character in a way. But there were just some some clear um, hits and misses. But Kumail, I loved. What was something that was working for you in that? Well, I wanted to comment on what you said, just because it really is so rich, and I think it's so interesting to kind of like see some of the um, you know stuff about this film. And Chloe Zhao, what she's talked about is that she loves, or one of her big inspirations is Zack Snyder. Um, Adam, is there something you wanted to say real fast? Well, I do want to talk about Zack Snyder real quick. Keep going with what you're going to say. I just want okay. to put a button on the Kumail part. Let's put a button on it. Um, the only reason I say that is I have I've seen an interview where Chloe Zhao talks about I love the sort of tone of Zack Snyder uh, films. And that is what Richard Madden was doing. And the reason I mention that is it's, it's okay to have that, but you get these tone clashes in the film. And Kumail is an MCU movie over here. And then you have, and so is his valet. I forgot to mention him. We talk about humanity. His valet was freaking hilarious. Yes. And their interplay was so good. And I cared more about him than Kid Har- than I would care about Kid Harrington any day of the week in this movie. And he was great. Him and Kumail, God, that, that was great. They were both in MCU movies. Then the rest of the cast, and Chloe Zhao was doing something different, and it wasn't always hitting, but she was kind of going for it. But the problem is, is these tones just did not match, and they did not meet in any way. And and I, I couldn't agree more. Kumail was, was fantastic. He was fantastic, but where did he go? He disappears oh, yeah. for yeah. the final what? battle. All what he was does, that? He just says, I can't do it. I can't face whoever the name of the crazy god is, and I can't face Icarus. What I gotta hell? go. Peace. That was the. I, I I can't believe that they didn't follow that up at all, and he never came back in the battle. I I, I honestly th- like that had to have maybe have been some who scheduling because COVID. That seemed, I don't know. That seems so inexplicable to me. That especially because I didn't. There's so many Eternals that you kind of lose track, or I did, and then they started doing the Unimind, and where they all start floating and doing the Unimind, and then I started taking stock of who all the Eternals were again. I was like, wait a second, what about Kamel? Like he's got to he's got to do the Unimind with them, right? And 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 they just didn't show him. And then at the very end, he's back and hanging out with Cersei again. I'm just like, what? What is? What's going on here? What happened here? I did not get that. Didn't get that at all. Seemed like a huge, huge oversight that they just forgot about, basically. Oh, wait, we have to wrap up this character's arc? Yeah. So that was a bummer. But 
The the Zack Snyder aspect is really interesting because I'd heard that a little bit too, and I think you encapsulated it perfectly. There's room for Zack Snyder's take on comic books, and there's room for Marvel movies. They are not the same. They are very yep. different takes on yep. the source material, and you know maybe we've just been conditioned to expect that kind of Marvel fun along with our action and you know and emotion and missing that left us wanting a little bit more when maybe we thought you know we've always say we we want these auteurs to come in marvel is so driven by producers yeah. wouldn't it be cool if someone did something different i don't know maybe i don't want something different no no i i disagree because i don't think that's what our problem was i think the problem was that the tones did not match mm. because that's not what she was doing. She this did not feel like Chloe Zhao's auteur vision. That's this, what I thought too. Why this, hire Chloe Zhao if you're just going to have her make? Yeah, this a Kevin feels Feige like movie. Chloe Zhao, and then somebody was saying, "Yeah, but we got to make this funny." And then, yeah, but let's go back and do some reshoots and do some inserts and do some yeah. ADRs where they're doing one-liners and stuff like this. And then let's. Tons of previs. You mentioned the 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 dogs, the you know the enemies of this. The deviants, I mean, man. The deviants. There's so much that you know is kind of out of her, you know, Malekian, beautiful, you know, golden hour stuff. That you know, you caught some of that in the film, but this is not an auteur film, like you said. You have to learn how to work within the studio system to a degree, and I think people like Kugler for Black Panther. And then I think of Taika yeah. Waititi for, you know, they both James were Gunn. able, James Gunn, they were both able to make their own films that are very much MCU films. Yeah. Very much. And then some people just don't, I mean, think about Edgar Wright, you know, Edgar Wright did, wasn't able to make his. Couldn't do he, it. So he walked he, away. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a really interesting point. Um, okay. I wanted to talk, you guys talk, you know, you talked about a character. I wanted to talk about two characters that I really dug Go. Druig he and Makari. I loved them. I, I love Druig and Makari. And the reason I lumped them together is because they kind of have this little nudge, nudge romance. He's yeah. kind of giving her the f flirtiness. You know, she's doing sign language, the ASL. I'm I'm loving it. And, and I've seen, did you ever see Sound of Metal, Adam? I never did. I really wanted to. Okay. Yeah. Her name's Lauren Ridloff and, um, she is in that and, you know, does signing. She is a, a deaf actress and she is also extremely beautiful. Like every time she was on this, the, you know, the screen, I could not take my eyes off her. But man, Barry Cohen, Kean, however you say his Irish name, he is such a weird kind of actor. He has this unsettling kind of like, demeanor about him well, it's his eyes man his his eyes this the squinniness and he plays a perfect druig who the whole time i was like okay is he the final boss is he the what bad guy what is this guy gonna do yeah what, what is he gonna do and then he wasn't purely that sort of evil or you know he was conflicted because he loved humanity but he controlled them and then he had this one little uh one-off scene with kumail where he's like oh the uh the famous actor he's like oh i'm also director too he's like oh yeah he's like what do you make he's like I, I did some youtube content he's like how many views <laughs> <laughs> that, that little banter i was like okay yeah. 
he can play the the devilish, scary kind of creep druig, but he can also like mix it up with Kumail. Okay, I really like this guy. Yeah, man, it made me look at him in a, in a totally different way because I feel like I'd only seen him kind of either play evil characters that you're not supposed to trust right. or kind of meek. He has this really great role in Dunkirk. I don't know yes. if you remember. Oh, yeah. He's kind of this meek person that just kind of gets taken along for a yes. journey. Um, and I always thought it was really interesting. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name either. Barry Keoghan, I think is Keoghan. Yeah, I think it's a soft G. <laughs> Whatever that means. Our, our Irish listeners, please get at us. Um, yeah. But he was the original cast, and they even shot the pilot for Why the Last Man. Right. He was supposed to be right. York. And I always thought that was so weird. But now seeing this, I see kind of his impish side, his fun, lighthearted, you know, carelessness kind of side. And I thought, I understand why they would have cast him as Yorick, seeing this performance of Druig. He was definitely one of the best parts. I loved his chemistry with Makari. They were great. Yeah, and he's in another film earlier this year called The Green Knight. If you've seen that, check it out. Again, he kind of plays these uh, kind of scary figures, but I, I totally dug them. Any other characters you wanted to kind of call out while we're on the character uh, train over here? Kind of felt like Angelina Jolie um, as Thena was a little wasted. Didn't yeah, that really, was odd. It, very odd. It, it just seemed so weird to put this character that can't really do anything for most of the movie and then have a great, incredibly talented actress like Angelina Jolie. Not even just incredibly talented, but just a presence. She's a star. Presence. You know, oh, yeah. She just walks on screen and you're hooked you're just drawn to her just felt kind of kind of wasted for her a little wasted for our previously mentioned kit harrington obviously they're just setting something up but there's moments of why are these people in it and and for angelina jolie's thena i mean talk about a plot element that could have just been on the cutting room floor her and gilgamesh that was another sort of relationship it was more like platonic like we care for each other she has mad weary this sickness that was one that just straight up needed to go it it did not need to be in the film and it felt like angelina jolie just like called them up and be like i want to look really fucking cool in a marvel movie make me the kind of coolest character and i don't want to like do my i'm not signing up for nine films here i just want to i'll give you I'll give you a week. Yeah, yeah. I want to look badass though, and because yeah. her fight scenes were pretty, I, I liked the sort of acrobatic movements of her, and, and she's like the best fighter. Her her sabers were pretty dope, but yeah, that, I just don't know about them. Give me more of that. Give me more of that saber fighting. I yeah, I wanted more Angelina Jolie, just flexing. Let her flex. What about uh? What did you think of? Let's see. What is his name? Phaestos, Brian Tyree Henry. He was good. I liked him. I like Brian Tyree Henry, but he did have, I thought, one of the worst scenes. The the Hiroshima sadness scene just, oh gosh, it was bad. That was just yeah. a really ham-fisted scene. Look what we have done. Look what humanity is capable of. This is obviously an unspeakable tragedy, you know, loss of human life. We don't need a Marvel movie to point that out to us. Yeah. Yeah, that that was kind of an odd one. Um, I I loved the actor. And, I mean, it's the same thing. There's so many Eternals that the dude wasn't in the film until the last act, basically. And and he crushes it. I mean, I, I, even as, like, an action 
person. He's the one that, you know, binds up Icarus and, and, and you know, he's like kind of beats Icarus to a degree. Yeah. Um, I, I did kind of like, you know, him as a father and, you know, him having a relationship. I thought uh, it kind of grounded him where a lot of, even Cersei, like I said, I just, her relationship with humanity never really landed in the same way. Um, all right, let's, oh, one last character. Adam, did you know there is uh, what is what is his name the the lead the lead dog the lead deviant Bill Skarsgård did you know Bill Skarsgård was in this film I did not know that until I saw the end credits I thought Bill Skarsgård wow he's kind of you know he's a name he played he played Pennywise in the new It yeah. and um you know where was he and then I thought oh he was that CGI wolf dog creature that was actually a deviant that had like three lines he was oh, the humanity was him. yeah he, he was the human looking deviant um crow is his name and talk about a waste of a villainous actor like a great villainous actor like adam mentioned that dude is creepy so creepy god he's the creepiest actor and i love him he's so interesting in the things that he does and like you adam didn't even know he was in the film until I was doing research later. <laughs> yeah. Did they promote that at all? Probably not because he's just a voice, know. but man. Yeah, who, who knows? Okay. Uh, something we mentioned is Chloe Zhao shot this on location in a lot of degrees. Of course, there's shooting, you know, in studios as well. What did you think about the look of this movie? What did you think about, you know, the Chloe Zhao and the location of it all versus, you know, Atlanta MCU Studios? Didn't really feel that different than a traditional Atlanta-based production to me, honestly. There was definitely some, you know, after the fact, when you hear how much it was shot on location, it's impressive and it's cool. But when you compare it to a lot of the other Marvel movies that are primarily shot in Atlanta, I don't think it felt that different. Didn't really feel like we were using these locations to their fullest degree. I think, of you know, great location movies like the Mission Impossible franchise yep. where they go yep. to these different places and it, you can tell they went there and they they build an entire, you know, huge set piece around the location. I love that. I, I think we could have used way more of that kind of globetrotting I, set piece. You know, I think that's a really interesting take, especially when we talk about the kind of history of the turtle. There was a lot of time jumping in this and kind of so going back to different jumping. ages. But the things that I think of is, okay, they did some like Mesopotamia stuff. There's the thing in Druig's forest when they're like in the Amazon. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the beach at the end. And, and I'm guessing whenever they talk about locations, they're talking about that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it did not look that good. Like, like, like it, it, I wasn't, you know, I was expecting, and I think they do some of that in the trailer this really like awe inspiring kind of like shots. And I know there were some, you know, the Malekian backlit, you know, the sun behind the person and the lens flares and it's all beautiful. There was some of that, but it's so, it's not what you're looking, you know, you're not really looking at that stuff and there's not time to linger on that stuff in an MCU movie. And I, I just, couldn't even notice. <laughs> it didn't like you said. If you're gonna go to locations, like show a place, not just like okay, we're gonna go shoot in a field or in a desert. Like that is nothing for you. Make it feel like you went there. You know, yeah. Dune. They went to this huge desert. 
Yes. It feels like it. You yes, know, James it does. Bond, he goes to wherever, pick up awesome city or country, and it feels like it. Uh, I, I have another question to ask you. Uh, we talked about Snyder. DC is in this movie, and so is Star Wars. Whenever they're at Fastos's house, the kid has like all these Star Wars coloring books, and they make these references to like Batman's butler, Alfred. Are you, you're like a valet, and they mentioned um, that Icarus is like Superman, and like they're like, should I call you Clark? What did you think of that kind of self? You know, referential, you know, the, uh, Marvel pokes at DC. They call them the distinguished competition. What did you think of MCU dropping some DC, you know, Easter eggs there? That's interesting because I didn't really think about it at all. Okay. In the moment. Honestly, I don't know if I would have thought of it if you hadn't brought it up. I think it's a really savvy move on Marvel's part to make their world feel even more relatable because they just take the pop culture that they want and put it in their world. You know, they're they're ignoring the fact that these people that were reading about Superman and Star Wars would also be reading about Eternals and right. Spider-Man and everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's, a paradigm. Yeah, it's really smart, though, honestly, because it just makes it Paradox. feel a little more a little more rooted in our world and a little more how we would, you know, frame things and compare things because... Everyone uses pop culture to relate yeah. to things. That's it's honestly a really good. I think it's a testament to something, to a really smart piece of writing because I didn't even notice it and it just felt so natural for him to say, like Superman. You know that should have stuck stuck out a lot more, but it just felt like something that the little kid would say in that moment. It stuck out to me. I I was like, whoa, like they're going for it, and they do in comics often where they where they reference each other, and it's usually tongue in cheek. But I did like in this, it did not feel like a dig, um, and so I think it worked for both parties. Like you said, it worked for Marvel because it grounds the universe deeper into our world. It does feel like our world. Like it does feel like our New York City. If like that suburban setting where Fastos lives, it feels like a suburban setting with kids drawn on Star Wars coloring books and talking about Superman. And then I think it kind of honors DC in a way because you know, I think Superman and Batman are just such touchstones of our culture that you don't even think of them as comic booky. You say Superman and it means more than just the big blue boy scout it means like the whole it means comics you know it's like coca-cola um and coke you know what i mean it means the whole it means soda it means everything right we're talking about in the in the regular comic club programming reading klaus and um that's a character that you don't think about as being part of you know pop culture but santa claus is someone that was invented. If there was comic books back then, maybe he would have been a comic book character. And I think that's such a great point that you made. Superman is the same way. People don't even think about the fact that he came from comics. He just feels like a fixture in our yep. in our consciousness. Exactly. All right, let's move it on to the end. I want to talk about the end. All right, so the Eternals get together. They form the Unimine. They stop. Uh, they decide to side with Earth. 
And then they kind of split into two factions. We have a group who is in the Domo, who um, is made up of a team, Thena, Druig, and Makari, and they're going off into space, and they're going to go find some more Eternals. And then we have Cersei, Phaestos, Kingo, and Sprite, who remain on Earth, and then but what happens to them at the end, Adam? They they get kind of like sucked up by uh, Asheram, the the celestial god, and and what do, do they just kind of disappear? They disappear off Earth, and then they're going to go look for them. Is that kind of what happens with them? From what I understood, yes, uh, he took them. A- Ashram is that his name? I think he, so. Yeah, he took them from Earth, and he said, "You've decided to side with." earth and humanity right and i will spare earth for this time but i'm going to use your memories of humanity as judgment so oh. i'm going to review all your memories and i will use that and then judge earth upon that that's huh. what i understood the ending as so he took them away i don't know why he just took those eternals and not the ones that went to space you know, it's interesting that you even say that because there was kind of like another info dump earlier on that I didn't even think about where they talk about they store all their memories, uh, the Celestials store all their memories in some sort of factory, in some sort of Celestial factory. There's like this wall. It looks right. like like blue chlorophyll or something like that. And, um, you know, that could be something where their memories get wiped, kind of like the book we read, Adam, like, like right, where maybe they restart them in the machine and they get their memories wiped and one of their missions is to restore their memories. But that's what I want to talk about is where do we kind of think this is going, Adam? Maybe I'll throw it at you. What would you like to see? It did say at the end of this that Eternals are return- returning. Talk about maybe what could happen with those two parties and then touch on also the post credit sequences and what we saw there and we'll kind of go back and forth about this. Well, like Blaine said, we got two kind of factions of the Eternals now. We got the group that's been, you know, summoned by Ashram or whatever. And then we've got the other group that's looking for other Eternals. So I think it'll probably split the time between those two. We'll see some new Eternals. Like we said, there's a ton of Eternals. Yeah, Um, there are. There's so many. So they have a lot to pull from, kind of figure out who they want to use. Um and then well, I'm well, sure. Hold, hold on, let me stop you right there. Do you think we're going to get an Eternals too at all? Like, like just also from there. There's like what we could see, but what, where do you think they'll even appear? Do you think they'll appear in Eternals film? It's a good question. A full on Eternals two. I think so. Yeah, I think there will, okay. there will be one um, based on the post credit scene yeah. potentially, but. Uh, scenes post credit scenes but yeah i think that we'll see some new eternals they'll go look for their eternals and then they'll have to go back and they'll have to get cersei and whoever was taken um they'll have to get the team back together and probably fight another celestial who knows yeah and the reason i asked that is because all right actually you know what adam walk us through the first post-credit sequence the people on the domo what was theirs because i kind of wanted to talk about the tone of that that post-credit sequence the people on the domo so the mid-credit sequence mid-credit sequence they're on the domo um and we get two strange figures that teleport there assumingly one of them is a tiny little troll, yep. hilariously voiced by Patton Oswalt. This right. is Pip the Troll, we would find out. And then we've got a swaggering, sexy, Harry Styles, 
just strutting into the scene, um, <laughs> announcing himself as Eros, yep. Thanos' brother. He says, right. I'm an Eternal too. I'm Eros. I'm Thanos' brother. I'm here to help you, basically. And that's all we see from that. Um, that well, is pretty interesting. Well, like with WTF, whenever Harry Styles, because like I think I had even seen a headline b- before this movie that was like it talked about Harry Styles, and I kind of completely mind wiped and forgot that even happened. And whenever he came out, I was just like, "What on earth is going on here?" Yeah. Like that was so bizarre, and the Pip CGI was just weird to begin with. But it was very Patton Oswald who kind of like fits you know, in the MCU formula that could work real well. But I was getting, the reason The reason I wanted to even mention all that, I was getting major Guardians vibes. And I was yeah. like, I was like, okay, are the, is this crew going to show up in Guardians 3? Are they going to show up in Thor? This is like, you know, we talk about the tonal shift of, of these teams. Are they going to decide to just, like, who knows? Was that even shot after? Was that one of those post, you know, inserts that they were like, this movie wasn't very funny. Let's make the next one. Let's make the next one more. Gar- let's let's put some guardians in our Eternals. <laughs> you know, let, like, let, let's put that formula in there, especially because they're going to space. So I could see that, you know, be a major factor going forward. Yeah. I mean, that definitely could have been part of it. It, it was very tonally different. Pip, the troll shows up. He's drunk. I mean, this yeah. is way different than what we see, and he's just giggling and, you know, announcing Eros. Eros is also known as uh, Star Fox. Star Fox. I always know him as Star Fox, and I don't know much about the character, but he he is like the sex symbol of the MCU. It's weird. I'm really curious to see how they handle his character, because he kind of has a little uh, troubled past, I guess. Okay. I I, I, One of his main you know powers, basically, me. is he has this ability to have... To cause people to become infatuated with him. Okay. They're like obsessed with him sometimes to a sexual nature. And there it's you like, go. Oh, okay. A little maybe taking advantage of people. I don't know. We might have a different. You know, works with poison ivy. Works with poison ivy, I guess. Um, feels a little different when it's a guy doing it. Does. It know. does feel a little bit different. It does. That That is interesting. But you know, standard. That's a double standard. It is a double standard, and you know, with Harry Styles, he's going to attract some men to him as well. So who I'm attracted, you know? Yeah, (laughs) right here, baby. All right, talk about the other. uh, Talk about the other in credit stinger sequence. What happened there? Well, we finally get a good scene with uh, our guy Kit Harrington, aka Dane Whitman. Yep, who was. You know, Cersei's one time boyfriend, who knows if they'll pick it back up, but he is in, uh, I don't know, a de- uh, a museum or somewhere. He's going over this relic, this ancient sword that yep. I've come to find out is called the Ebony Blade. And he's, you know, can't, he's very conflicted. He doesn't know if he wants to do it or not. And you can tell that there's power that he's afraid to tap into. And um, he speaks to his ancestors and summons this blade. And then as soon as he does that, an unseen voice yeah. comes into our our uh, our audio and says, are you sure you want to do that? Blaine, have you read? Do you know who this is? I did. I, I Not. Here's the thing is 
you know, usually I'm chomping at the bit for lore in this stuff. And as soon as it would happen, I would pull out my phone and be like, who was that voice? And I really was like ready to get out of the theater at that point. And I looked it up a couple days later whenever I was doing research for this show. I was like, oh, oh that's Blade, baby. That's Mahershala. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Like, 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 I, I, don't know I have that. no idea. They've mentioned, so that's Mahershala Ali, who's going to play Blade. That's Blade, right. Blade, the vampire hunter, the daywalker. A lot of people <laughs> don't know this. He is a Marvel character. Does he have a movie Marvel. or a TV show? I think it's going to be a TV show is what I had heard, but those okay. things change a lot, they so do. you never know. But they have announced, they've definitely announced a Blade with Mahershala Ali. Yep. And um, yeah, I I wish, ugh, this is the internet, but I wish that, that no one knew who that was and that we yeah. were just discussing this and no one could tell who it was and we would just have to wait years to figure out how it played into it and we would have so much fun debating who it would be. And now just all the fun's taken out of it. You know, it, it it's so odd because, you know, I, as a comic book reader, Black Knight, I have no idea who that is. Oh, yeah. I, and he's going to be a guy called Black Knight. We didn't oh, yeah. Say oh, yeah. That. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Dane, <laughs> Kit Will- Dane, Dane Whitman becomes a character named Black Knight. I don't know anything about him. I don't know. the. I know what he looks like, and that's about it. I think he was maybe big in the 90s, but I, I know, you know, we talk about our, our ongoing... <laughs> roommates of the show that adam was living with a while why don't you tell it adam yeah i uh after i had seen it i've been living with our our friends chris and celia they're married and they saw eternals before me and they were saying you gotta go see it we want to talk to you we want to ask you about the mid credit scene we want to ask you about yeah. the end credit scene they're kind of newer sort of entry-level comic book fans not even comic fans but mcu fans they've yes. gotten deep into it this past year and um i got back from the movie and I was ready to talk about it. And then I find out that Celia knew way more than I did because she had done research and she said, I couldn't wait. I had to find out who it was. And so she did all this research. She's telling me everything about the black Knight. I don't know any of this and cannot (laughs) confirm or deny any of the details. And she said, yeah. And he led, he led the leather jacket Avengers in the nineties. And I'm thinking, what are the leather jacket Avengers? It just goes to show that, like, no matter how much co- comics knowledge you know, I mean, I mean, there's seventy, there's eighty years of this content, right? And, and like, you can't know it all. It's so funny because the MCU is just pulling deep, deep cuts, and there's a whole YouTube industry and blog industry of Easter egg culture. <laughs> Let me explain to you what the mid credit segment means yes. and where it could possibly go. I was telling Adam that after we had watched uh, Black Widow, my brother-in-law was like, okay, Blaine, did you see the movie? I'm like, yeah, I saw the movie. He's like, okay, well, tell me everything about Red Hulk then. And I'm like, excuse me? Did we watch the same movie? <laughs> He's like, yeah, dude, Thunderbolt Ross, you know, the dude who's like the handler for Black Widow in the comics, apparently, I was watching this YouTube video, he becomes the Red Hulk and people are saying that he might lead the Thunderbolts. And I'm just like, bro, like, <laughs> I, you don't need to know, I mean, I, maybe you need to know about Red Hulk. I don't know much about him. I, I remember sure. a little bit whenever that was a thing, but it's the same thing with <laughs> Black Knight and the, is it the trench coat, the black coat Avengers, whatever that is. That sounds awesome. The, 
a leather jacket adventure. Oh, leather jacket. Of, I want to read that comic. We, that might be a future comic club for us. It sounds like a great poll. I want to know why they're all wearing leather jackets. Obviously, we're getting well off the rails, and that's how you know it is time to bring this pod down. It was an adventure going to see the Eternals. You know, who knows? We might get an Eternals too. And who? And you know, if we do, Adam. Maybe it's time to dig back into the Jack Kirby well. Maybe it's time to revisit the source of Eternals. Get back to, you know, the roots. That'd be an interesting experience. I'd, I'd go down that rabbit hole with you. There we go. Well, this has been another Beyond the Panels. We love talking about the films. And, you know, this is coming a little bit after the movie. So we'd hope you've seen it by now. And um, join us as we continue to talk. I think next up we have Hawkeye in the MCU. And then we have Spider-Man 3 coming up. So you better believe we're going to be doing Beyond the Panels on those. Go tell a friend about the show. Like and leave a review. Join us this month as we read Claws. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.